We believe that all people are beloved image bearers of God, imbued with dignity. We believe that the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. We believe in the reality of redemption. Still, we cannot deny that the human story is one filled with oppression and injustice. But although we can't deny it, we can defy it. We can use our eyes to truly see the injustice around and within us. We can let our hearts fill with the compassion of Christ for those who are suffering. And we can put our hands to work to right these wrongs and break these cycles wherever we find them. We can participate in the coming Shalom. We can choose justice. good to see your faces this morning and be here to worship with you guys together. It's a beautiful day already and we are really excited today to close out our justice series with a guest speaker. You guys probably all remember Zach from when he was here before. Um, some of you guys might be new but Zach is a dear dear friend. Um, Zach and Jerome are here today from V3 which is an organization in Tampa that one exists to help pastors and Benjamin and I have greatly benefited from their care and support over the years, but also exists to be a force of kingdom work in our city. And so we are really excited to hear from Zach today, hear um, some exhortation about the things that we've been studying, and then hear specifically about some kingdom work that we can be a part of. So let's welcome up Zach. Well, good morning. How are we? Good morning. You good? Yes. Yes, good, good, good. So this is, you've been three weeks, right? Three weeks in this justice conversation. Uh, the last three weeks you've been, I think it's been three, is that correct? Four weeks? Four weeks. I'm five. All right. Here's, before I even get into what I'm going to get into, I'm curious, just because we can, what have you learned? What has surprised you, maybe in yourself? What has resonated with you? What, I, I just watched that trailer and it's beautiful, beautifully done. I'm curious for you, as you have gone through this four-week journey, what is it that God has maybe stirred up in you? Or what surprised you? What have you learned? Like, we asked you to come and talk, and now you're asking us to talk. See that? Huh? Yeah, it's just brutal, especially early, and it's cold. Anything? One of the things that hit me was contemplative revolutionary. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a different way of seeing justice and letting the word of God inform us instead of shaped by our culture, which doesn't always get it right. What else? Anything? Has it been challenging or is this kind of you live and breathe it? Yeah. I think it is. I think if we're honest, whether we grew up in the church or we haven't really been in the church very long or we're just kind of coming around to this idea that a community exists that is participating with this narrative and this arc in creation that bends towards justice, it's challenging any time those words start to take on flesh. A few weeks, last week we talked about, uh, I think it was December 5th, 1955. Remember, that date stick out in anybody's mind for any reason? It's the first time Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested. That was four days after the Rosa Parks incident. And so in, in any of our stories, in any of our moments in history, when those words, those things we believe, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., informed by his faith, there came a time where that faith began to express itself very publicly and where there was a line that he felt like he had to stand at and it cost him it was challenging to live that faith and so first this morning i just want to encourage you i get to be a friend to this church and just cheerlead and champion and celebrate the conversation that you have been in 
Because if you're like me, I grew up in a church for a long time where it was comfortable, faith was able to be comfortable because it was very private. It really didn't, what your story was or what the world's story was, that could just go on and I could have my private beliefs and my private faith. And as long as I had that private belief and had that private faith, I felt like that was, that was what faith was supposed to do. But the biblical story really doesn't allow for a privatized faith. That really isn't a part of the biblical narrative. And it's why Jesus' encouragement to his disciples oftentimes was, come follow me, it's going to cost you. The world's going to hate you. There's going to be friction. Because the reality is what, what Jesus came to do was revolutionary. It wasn't conservative. It wasn't specifically moral. It was all of it, and it was revolutionary. And it was the answer to the long arc of history, the long aching and groaning of creation. That we hear those groanings in Psalm 72. I think that we, we've got it. I want to start with this this morning. And just you've been, in, you've been saturated in this conversation. But listen to this. This is a prayer written in Psalm 72. It goes like this. O God, grant the king the ability to make just decisions. Grant the king's son the ability to make fair decisions. Then he will judge your people fairly and your oppressed ones equitably. The mountains will bring news of peace to the people and the hills will announce justice. He will defend the oppressed from the people. He will deliver the children of the poor and, the cr and crush the oppressor. People will fear you as long as the sun and the moon remain in the sky for generation after generation. He will descend like rain on the mown grass, like showers that drench the earth. During his days, the godly will flourish. Peace will prevail as long as the moon remains in the sky. May he rule from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Before him, the coastlands will bow down and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the coastlands will offer gifts. The kings of Sheba and Sable will bring tribute, tribute. All kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. For he will rescue the needy when they cry out for help. And the oppressed who have no defender, he will take pity on the poor and the needy. The lives of the needy he will save. From harm and violence, he will defend them. He will value their lives. May he live. May they offer him gold from Sheba. May they continually pray for him. May they pronounce blessings on him all day long. May there be an abundance of grain in the earth on tops of the mountains. May it, be its, may it sway. May its fruit trees flourish like the forests of Lebanon. May its crops be abundant as the grass of the earth. May his fame endure. May his dynasty last as long as the sun remains in the sky. May they use his name when they formulate their blessings. May all nations consider him to be favored by God. The Lord God, the God of Israel, deserves praise. He alone accomplishes amazing things. His glorious name deserves praise forevermore. May his majestic splendor fill the whole earth. We agree, we agree. This collection of the prayers of David, son of Jesse, ends here. May his majestic splendor fill the whole earth. That's the last line of the prayer. This vision that, that is cried out for, for justice and for the oppressed and for the needy, this person crying out as you would cry out if you just privately said, the people that are most on your heart for this morning, those who are most in need, this is the heart crying out. And at the very end say, saying, may the majestic splendor of God fill the earth. That's what we're praying for. That is a revolutionary prayer. I think that's what it sounds like to hear a contemplative revolutionary pray. And after listening to your sermon series the last few weeks, I, I hear it being elements prayer. That, that, that our faith is not okay to just remain a private thing. 
and the conversation that you're having as a family, as a church body, is, we, we, that, that is, we're not okay with that. That's not enough. We're asking God, what does it look like for our faith to bear fruit in the world and not just be a private thing? And that's challenging. But that's our prayer, that the splendor of God would fill the earth. This is not just a timely conversation. It's not just an important conversation because it's 2020 and the world is dealing with all sorts of struggle and strife and chaos. It's not certainly not just a clever idea for a sermon series. It is not just a prompt to do something as a church. The conversation you are having is at the very core of what we believe in the Christian faith. And here's why that's so important, because we act on our beliefs. Our beliefs drive our actions. We act from what we believe on. If you don't believe me, how many of you have washed your hands extra this week? Right? The entire globe is now just like A-listers at washing our hands. Why, how did that change? What, what caused us to just simply become absolutely committed to hand washing? A belief changed. It simply became important enough for us to wash our hands. And we do it. Some of us are zealous about it. Like 30 seconds in between the fingers, like we, we're getting after it. Because something in our mind switched. And we believed something deeply enough to act on it. I'm telling you, that's, that's what happened for Martin Luther King Jr. That's why he ended up in jail. Because his belief caused him to act. And there's that little, it's, I, I wish I could even plot it out how small that distance might be. That's the revolution. The revolution is not some mighty thing that is impossible to get our arms around or our minds around or our finances around. What I want to call us to today is Jesus said, this is the work that you would believe. Because if we believe that something is true to the point that we're convicted, the point that we, that we own it, our actions will flow from that belief. So here's what I want to do. I want to read a little bit out of Revelation 5. Revelation, fun, right? Super fun. You're like, new guy. That's what substitute teachers get to do. Bananas stuff that you have to clean up later. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, here's, we're, pri- we're privileged because we have movie people, people who make movies and tell stories with us today. And so that's like fact-checking 101, that somebody can check these facts. But here's the idea. Somebody has an idea. There's something that's true, right? And then a storyteller, a producer, an executive, a movie mogul comes along, and they're able to give a vi- take that idea and make it visible, right? And something that was in the mind up here becomes this epic thing that we get to watch, and that thing that we get to watch makes us act. It it compels us to get caught up in that story and go, whoa, I want to be a part of that. What's your favorite movie that's done that? Where you have like watched, I don't know, 300, and then you've gone out with tinfoil and like made a suit of armor and been like, yes, (laughs) this is, I am Sparta, right? What, what, what's been the movie? Maybe it was Hidden Figures. And you were like, yes, math. Whew. You know? Right? Sometimes, yeah. What, what, what movie have you watched where you can honestly, not, not church faking it, but like honestly you can say like, there was a little bit of me that walked around the living room and believed it. A little bit. Tomorrowland. What was the story, the part that you were like, yes? Yeah, 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 yeah. We could do an Enneagram study to follow up with that. Like, why did that happen? But yeah, Tomorrowland, what else? Okay, what was it? 
What was it that made you just go, yes? I love it. I love it. So good. I have three daughters. We're going to watch it. This is good. All right. Anybody else? One more? Somebody who's dying. Somebody's dying to be like, this is my movie. Here's your shot. Batman. Thank you. Batman. Yeah. Secretly mine as well. And I grew up in the tension of being short and wanting to be like, I'm Batman. You know what I mean? Like, and I just, I didn't believe it quite, so I'm working on that. Because I just, yeah. My brother-in-law is six feet. When he does it, I'm like, you are kind of Batman. What was it in Batman? Your darkest pain can be the source of your greatest Yeah. And those stories have been told well. Like, I'm biased for sure. He's my favorite superhero. But the Batman stories, they grab you because it's human. Right? This is what stories can do. And I think Revelation, sometimes it's so packed with imagery, so packed with mystery, that we can skip it or we just go, I'm not going to get into it because it's too much. It's overwhelming. And so we don't allow it to function in the way that a story can function. And this morning, I just want to invite you to listen to Revelation 5 and imagine we're watching this story play out. Because I think if God is the guy with the movie idea, it's his idea, and the Spirit gives John the executive producer role or whoever makes the movie, he gives John the ability to bring that thing to life. That's what's happening. John is peering into what's true. He's watching the story. And watch what happens because we're in it. So listen to this. If you've got a Bible, Revelation chapter 5. If not, I think it's going to be up on the screen. Here we go. Revelation 5, 1 says this. Then I saw in the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the front and back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a powerful angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. So I began weeping bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Thus he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw standing in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders a lamb that appeared to have been killed. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the earth. And then he came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders threw themselves to the ground before the lamb. Each of them had a harp and the golden bowl of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They were singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were killed. At the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have appointed them as a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels in a circle around the throne as well as living creatures and the elders. Their number was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands times thousands, all of whom were singing in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was killed to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under earth, in the sea, and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor, glory, and ruling power forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders threw themselves to the ground and worshiped. Amen, amen. Woof, yeah. Like, can we make that movie, please? Like, what a scene. 
And we really have to read John's whole revelation, his whole vision to, to understand each particular part. But I love the way N.T. Wright describes God holding in his right hand the scroll. So imagine this, God Almighty seated on the throne and in his hand is a scroll. And what's in that scroll, N.T. Wright describes it this way. He says it's the battle plan for the redemption of all human history, all mankind. God has the answer in his hand and it's bound up, it's rolled up. Imagine pre-World War II, the general, imagine all of the pain, all of the suffering throughout Europe, throughout all of these places that have just been war-torn and ravaged, and people are crying and weeping and groaning for the bombings to stop and for in, the invasion to retreat and for their villages and their towns to stop being absolutely wrecked by that violence. And everyone is just going, make it, someone have the answer, someone stop this. And the general has in his hand, or the ruler or authority has in his hand, the plan that can set all of that right. And it's just, it's there. And John says he's weeping bitterly because nobody can open up that plan and set it in motion. It's locked up. That's what's being described. The God seated on the throne with the plan for the salvation and the redemption of all things seated and with that plan held like this and all of creation groaning for that plan to be set in motion and John weeping and he's watching this movie and he's saying and the angel looks and he says, is there anyone worthy? Is anyone, is there a general, is there, you can almost imagine David and Goliath, right? Is there anybody who will go out and tackle this Philistine that's mocking our God? Is there anybody? We said, no, there's nobody on earth or under earth. No one can do this. And so John is weeping bitterly, and then one of the elders says what? Wait, there is one, the Lion of Judah. From this one tribe, from this one root, he can do it. He will do it. And so John, if you can imagine this movie scene, you hear the lion can do this. The lion of Judah, he will do this. And so John, who is weeping, maybe sits up and he, he stops weeping and he clears his eyes and he's looking and he's looking for the lion of Judah, right? But he doesn't see in the circle the lion of Judah. Who does he see? There is no lion. There's now a lamb. And the lion of Judah does not conquer in the way that maybe we expected the lion of Judah to show up and conquer. Instead, there's a plot twist. And now the lamb of God is there. And it looks like that lamb of God has actually been killed. He's been slain. And the movie starts to unfold at this point. And what's told is, you are worthy because you gave your life, because the lion became the lamb and was slain for all of us. This one is worthy to unroll the scroll and to open the plan for the redemption of all things. And you can almost hear the crowds cheering. And you can almost hear it as it says 10,000 upon 10,000, thousands upon thousands of angels saying, worthy are you. Because from the moment that heaven and earth were separated, right? This is the beautiful story of creation all the way back to the beginning. Shalom that you have been talking about is this picture of heaven and earth like this. And heaven and earth were ripped apart. And all of creation in that tearing apart of what is good and true and beautiful that's not supposed to be way out there in space and time. That's a different way of thinking about it. Heaven, the idea is that heaven would invade earth. We just sang that. He didn't want heaven alone, so he came down. And the beautiful picture of redemption is that that ripping apart of heaven and earth where there's no more shalom and there's an ache here and a longing and an ache here is reconciled. Who will do this? Well, we know that when Jesus comes, 
He actually says, he grabs a hold of these early things that have been prophesied, even back to Genesis, and he says, you're going to see heaven and earth descending. You're going to see heaven and earth kiss. And you're going to see it in the flesh of Jesus. When that which is fully earth and that which is fully heaven becomes one. Now we're preaching, right? Now we are preaching. This is the core of our belief, is that heaven and earth will kiss. And we've seen it. We've beheld that glory, the glory of the one and only, the word that took on flesh and dwelt among us. And in him we saw shalom. We saw heaven and earth kiss. We didn't see some fanciful idea out there. And we did not see brokenness looked at and scorned upon down there. We saw a body that was broken and perfect love that was poured out, all mixed together in Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. This is the Christian story. It's unique in every world philosophy, in every religion, in every ism that you can get. Christianity is the only thing, the only story where heaven and earth kiss. Where there's not an upper and a lower story, where there's not some crazy division, but these two things kiss. And the movie keeps going. And this is where we have to start to allow that movie to inform, that narrative to go, okay, that is our story. That is our story. Like watching a, a phenomenal movie that's not a fiction, and you go, man, no, it's possible. Voting rights are possible. This is true. We're watching this. The Lamb of God slain. Heaven and earth kiss. That happened. We're not longing for that anymore. We're living in its wake. And listen to what it says. They were singing a new song because of it. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were killed. And at the cost of your blood, you have purchased for God persons. From every tribe and every nation, every language and people, you have appointed them as a kingdom and priests. That's the language that I want to focus in on for just a moment this morning. That idea, that vocation of kingdom and priest is heaven and earth. What are kings in charge of? Earth, right? They, they're the ones that are ruling the earth. What do, the, if the job of a king is earth, when, then what's the job of the priest? Heaven. You see the beauty? Jesus, the one who's in his flesh, took earth and he took heaven and he brought them together and he reconciled them. He says, from him, he's purchased people from every tribe, every language, every tongue, every color and stripe and size and height, all of us as one. He's purchased us back by that blood that was shed and he's made us a kingdom of priests. The language, what's being said there is he's made us a people of heaven and earth. We're people who stand at the intersection of heaven and earth. We're kings and priests. Our vocation is not solely earth and our vocation is not solely heaven. Our vocation is now the two of those kissing. That's our identity. That's our calling. We're heaven and earth people. Oh, man. When we understand that that is our story and that's our identity and that becomes our belief, then the intersection of our lives, the heaven and earthness of our lives, informs the way that we communicate with our spouses, the way that we communicate with our neighbors, the way that we communicate with our children, the way that I interact with the stranger and even my enemy. I am the intersection in Christ, not apart from Christ, but I in Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And if Christ is the one in whom heaven and earth meet and shalom is reconciled, and he's given that same identity and vocation to us, then he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And there's now not going to be the, the spirit of God dwelling and filling the earth. The majestic splendor of the world or of God is not going to fill the world by putting a bunch of churches on every block. I'm going to fill the entire creation with it. 
through a kingdom of priests, heaven and earth, at every intersection. And so these giant, huge, beautiful truths of our, of our Christian faith that say, these are the two greatest commandments, that you would love the what? Lord your God, and love who? Your neighbor. You know why he said that? It's heaven and earth. Right there in your physical body, I want heaven and earth to intersect. And so we live from that place. If we're being faithful, if we're allowing what's true in Christ, if we are living out and inspired by this grand narrative, then what happens is we no longer, it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And so the, the responsibility we have is to allow that to be true. We say it's only true if it's true. So when Brett meets Zach, will Brett experience on earth the reality of heaven? This is, a, this is the, the fundamental question. You said it on your list of things. We believe that all persons have dignity. Says who? Says heaven. Even in our own constitution, it says we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? That all men are created equal by who? By our creator. And endowed, who says who? Says who? We believe that God said that. And so the space between God saying that and it becoming visibly true is how we act on that belief, right? Whoo! Will there be justice for the oppressed? Will this birth of a king named Jesus, this Lamb of God who laid down his life for many, that we would be a kingdom of priests and send us out in the world, will the cry of the oppressed be answered in Christ? Yes. It is and it is coming. The kingdom is and will be. And all of creation is groaning for us to believe and act. Does that make sense? And I'm telling you, it comes down to the micro. I do not want us to get caught up in going, so we got to solve corona and cancer and everything right now today. St. Francis of Assisi says it like this. He said, we start by doing what's necessary and then we do what's possible, and suddenly we find ourselves doing the impossible. And there was a day where a young Martin Luther King Jr. was being shaped, and the spiritual formation was taking place in his life as he sat in church. And God, the reality of who Jesus is and the justice that is true in the kingdom of God was being molded and shaped in him to the point that then there was a moment where those words took on flesh. And today, there's greater racial equality because he stepped, he believed, and he acted in the direction of his faith. Element, this is our story. This is the story if we could have watched that Revelation 5 movie, it would have done such a better job of, I think, rising us to our feet and clapping. And we would have looked at each other and said, we're superheroes, we're kingdoms and priests. It's us. He made us. He made us a kingdom and priests. Those with the vocation and the identity where heaven and earth meet the shalom makers, the peacemakers, those whose ministry is reconciliation. That is us. The question is, do we believe that story? And I think in the church, we have gotten so good at believing the up to a certain point in that story, right? It's like we read up to a certain point in Revelation 5, and we're like, yes, blessed, 
Worthy is the lamb that was slain and we fall down and, and we're there. Yes, I think we believe that and we are there. But I think sometimes we shut the book and walk away. And we don't realize that the downstream implication of that, of his life being birthed into us, is that now the intersection of heaven and earth is not just out there, but it is in there. Whew. And this is where it becomes really personal for our kids and our neighbors and our cities. Because there are cries, there's cries right now happening. Cries for shalom. Cries for justice. Cries for mercy. That was perfectly on cue. I think that was all three cries right there. And so how will we respond? My encouragement to you is this. First, refresh your belief. Refresh your belief. This morning, if nothing else, I want you to be challenged that your faith is not a private thing. We don't have the right to make the grand history of narrative solely a private thing. That is not, it's not our story to shape and fold and take away and make private. It's the story that we get to join and participate in. And so go and just be refreshed with the reality that there is one who is worthy to take that scroll and to open it and to initiate and to begin the plan that would bring the restoration and the reconciliation of heaven and earth. And his name is Jesus. There was no one else on earth or under earth that could do that, but one did, and his name is Jesus. And he has now made us, purchased us because of his blood and made us a kingdom and priests. And so how then shall we live, as Francis Schaeffer said? What shall we do? I believe that if you just take what Francis Assisi said and start there, phenomenal conversations will come from Element. And I encourage you in your private life to say, okay, well, how can I start by doing what's necessary? What's necessary to see justice and peace and mercy appear in the world. If you start there, you may be convicted because you have been the one who is angry and oppressive in your own home. And for that, we go, okay, I'm going to start right there. I'm going to start with what's necessary and invite God to deal with me and to make this real estate look more like heaven and to see heaven and earth meet right here so that my kids begin to experience a little more of heaven right here on earth. And that's our prayer, right? May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make that your prayer between you and your kids, between you and your spouse, between you and your neighbor. Let's start with what's necessary. And then let's ask the question, what's possible? And that's where I want to invite you this morning. We asked that question and said, what's possible in our city? What, what would be possible if we were going to see heaven and earth embrace like that? And we just asked the question, if Jesus were to visit our city and want to see heaven and earth meet, where would his heart break for it? And our, the answer came quickly to us. It was human trafficking. In our city... And we're in the top 10, I think top five still in the nation of places where human trafficking and the exploitation of people for sexual slavery is most pronounced. That's our city. Top five in the nation. We started a song saying that we can defy it, right? And that was in your montage, that we can defy it Light says to the darkness, I beg to differ. And so what we said is, it's, it's incompatible if Jesus were in our city and heaven and earth were to, to meet, and if shalom were to appear, the captives would be set free. That's the first place it would go, is those who are held against their will and forced by someone into an oppressive work, they would be set free. 
And so we just asked the question, what would that look like? And we launched a year-long initiative to just say, let's lean into that one thing. We can't do it all, but we can lean in right there. And so for us, we launched a campaign we're calling the Lab Initiative. It stands for Life and Beauty. We believe that that's what Jesus brings into the world is life and beauty, and that's who he is. So we launched a Lab Initiative and said, what would it look like if the church were to take seriously this idea of shalom making, and we were to direct that passion and intention towards the oppressed and those held in captivity. So we launched an initiative and said, let's lean in and ask some questions. And the first thing we realized is that in the justice system itself in our city, there's police officers, men and women who are doing the job of going and trying to rescue people and help people, but often they don't have the right training or the right lens even to deal with this issue. And so people who are caught in captivity and who are being held against their will are actually being incarcerated for and charged with crimes for what they're being forced to do. And that law enforcement is having a conversation saying, how do we do a better job recognizing victims, finding them and rescuing them so that they can become survivors? So there's an agency that trains law enforcement, and they specifically train law enforcement ahead of big events. And in 2021, the Super Bowl is coming to Tampa. And so Tampa PD said, we would desperately love to train every police office in our, officer in our city ahead of the coming of the Super Bowl so that we're ready. And this agency said, we just did it in Miami. We'd love to come and do it in Tampa. The cost of the training is $20,000 which really, that's not a huge number. And the city said, well, it's $20,000 to buy the training, but think of the hundreds of thousands of dollars to run police officers through that training. I don't think we can do it. If we had partners, maybe we could do it. And so we had leaned out and asked about this, or announced this lab initiative, and the agency came to us and said, would you help us get the $20,000 so that we can take that out of the way? And we prayed about it, and we did not have the $20,000. But we said that should happen in our city. If shalom were to come, Jesus would say yes to that training. We said, God, would you please provide $20,000 so that we can meet that training? In two weeks, there were $20,000. And that training is happening. And on April, the week of April 15th, every police officer in Tampa is going to have access to this training. Praise God, right? <laughs> Praise God. That's the entire city and the entire Tampa Bay. So St. Pete, Clearwater, Hillsborough Sheriff's Office, and Tampa PD, they're all going to be sitting at a table, and they're going to be having a conversation on how more justice can come to the, the oppressed. Praise God. $20,000 seemed impossible. We simply did what was necessary, asked what was possible, and suddenly the impossible is happening, and all of those police officers are being trained. So then we said, well, what if we brought together all of the police officers who have to investigate those crimes and, and we put them in a room and we just said thank you to them because they sit and hear these interviews and look at these cases and it's, it wrecks them. We said, what, what if we just said thank you to them? How much would that cost? So we did, added up all the number of investigators and we were, it'd be $5,000 to buy all of those people dinner at the same time and put them all in the room. We said, well, they're never going to come unless their chief comes and unless the high-ups come. So let's invite them and let's see if we can get the $5,000. On Wednesday night, April 15th, all of those people will be having dinner and we are going to say thank you to them. And the chiefs are responding. All of the high-level officials are coming to a dinner put on by a faith-based organization to simply say thank you for the work you're doing for justice in our city. Praise God. So it's 2020, so we're like, well, we started with $20,000. What's the next thing we can pray for? And this is the part that's not finished. We're praying for 20,000 additional dollars so that we can direct those resources directly to the rescue ministries that are helping survivors. And so, so far, we've seen $2,000 go out uh, of that 20,000. So we're 18,000 away from hitting our goal. And we gave away a vehicle to a, a ministry that needed a vehicle. So God's already done that. But we are trying to raise 18,000 additional dollars so that we can resource the people who are doing the hardest work, which is receiving these people who have been trapped in this horrible injustice. And when they're rescued, where do they go? They have health needs. 
They have justice, like criminal justice needs, litigation things. They have education needs. Who helps them? Well, in our city, there's about 15 ministries that are doing that work. And next Friday, or this coming Friday, we're going to have a breakfast with them, and we're just going to sit with them and ask them how the church can help them. And we're trying to raise the $18,000 so that when they say, and guys, it's simple stuff. They say things like, we need a new bed for one of the rooms. We want to just be able to say, great, let's get that bed. That stuff is happening in our city. So I share that with you this morning to invite you not just to think about what you believe, but to act and to actually ask us to act together. Because something happens when we learn to do this together. And so my prayer and my ask this morning is going to be simply that Element would join us in three simple things. First, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray that what's true in heaven would be true on earth and it would start in Tampa Bay. Our prayer is that human trafficking in our city would be eradicated. That the majestic splendor of God would be true in our city for people who right now feel like they are trapped and being victimized. Would you join us in praying for that? And I'm here asking you as a guy who's grown up in church and heard people ask me to pray, and what did I always do? Yeah, totally. I'm saying go write it on your refrigerator because there's power in prayer. When God's people become one heart and one mind with one set of eyes and we begin to move our hands in the same direction, incredible things happen. Would you join us in praying for an end to human trafficking in our city? Would you commit to pray for that? Second, I want to invite you to join us next weekend at March 15th at 5 p.m. at South Tampa Fellowship. There's a documentary film being shown by, it's called Blind Eyes Opened. And we're just hosting that. You can find the link. We'll send it to Melody so she can send it to everybody. But we're trying to bring the church together so that you can become educated about this issue. It is the grossest injustice, I believe, in our city. And that's saying something. There's a lot of injustice. But this is one where the church, I believe it's like in Martin Luther King Jr.'s day, we cannot say that we are faithfully the church and then turn our back when there are adolescent girls and adolescent boys and adult men and women being held against their will and coerced and exploited for pleasure of someone else. The church must, if we don't rise up and face that, history will judge the church. And I think Jesus himself, who walks among the churches, would say, when you were hungry, did you give me something to eat? When you heard these cries, did the church respond? That day is upon us. So would you come on March 15th and just become educated, listen to the issue because there's, a, there's so many ways to help. First, pray. Second, become educated. And the third thing I'm going to ask, and, I, and I'm doing this boldly, I pray that you would give financially to help us reach that $18,000 goal. And Element, this is where it's so wonderful. It's five loaves and two fish. This morning, if we literally brought $7.50 together out of this room, to put together with all the church in Tampa Bay, I believe that God will meet and exceed that $18,000. I think the opportunity that is there is for us to act on our belief. And so what I want to invite you to is to kind of put your hand in with the other hands in the church and say, we're actually going to put our treasure and our heart in alignment in this one area and just start by doing what's necessary. And so what's possible becomes next and what's impossible follows. Let's pray. Let's become educated. And then let's bring what we have and watch God continue to just exceed and do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Because I'll tell you, it's wonderful right now to hear the conversations going between police chiefs and people who are completely in the secular world. And they're saying, why is this life and beauty appearing. What's behind that? And then we get to tell them the story. The why comes after that. 
Thank you for letting me encourage you. Thank you for letting me challenge you. Thank you for letting me invite you to pray about this. And if you take nothing away other than this, then go back and read Revelation 5. And I pray that you and I, all of us, would find ourselves worshiping with greater white-hot intensity because there was no one until the lion became the lamb and we watched him unroll that scroll. In an Isaiah, or fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, he walked into the temple and he literally unrolled it. And he said, I'm anointed to do what? Proclaim freedom for prisoners, release for the captives, opening the eyes of the blind. There is no other name but Jesus. And he is who he said he is. And we are who he says he is, or who, who he says we are. That's an incredible gift and an incredible invitation to live life with potency. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of all of our praise. And it is, it's just wonderful to have access to your word and the, to receive the working of your spirit, God, as you open our eyes and allow us to see the reality that you so loved the world that you did not leave us separate, Lord, but that you took on flesh. We praise you and we say, worthy is the lamb who was slain this morning. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would see to a greater degree the, the incredible and remarkable and wonderful thing that you have done in bringing heaven and earth back together. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what you're calling us to. I pray that there would be greater justice in our homes tonight. I pray that there would be greater joy and greater mercy in our relationships tonight. I pray that there would be greater freedom in our city. I pray that your majestic splendor would fill the world, Lord, that it would rise up over the, the sidewalk on Bayshore, that it would spill into North Tampa, that it would flood down Kennedy, that right now, even this morning, Lord, there is a young woman or a young boy who is trapped in a house in our city and they're begging. They're, and no, there is no one as they look around who will help them, God. But you have heard their cries. And you do set the oppressed and the captive free. And we pray that you would hear and answer those prayers and that there would not be one more captive in our city. Father, start with us. Start in our own hearts. May that revolution be in full force in our lives. And we pray that it would transform our families and our neighborhoods and ultimately our city. And that people would see this and that they would praise you above all things. Father, you are worthy of all of our praise. We love you and we thank you for loving us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.